Welcome to the free podcast that I aim to entertain, inform and inspire you. If you are already following the podcast, thank you. If you are not, I would really appreciate you clicking that button. It's a small gesture from you, which is a massive gesture for us. Enjoy the episode. Sakona, have you heard of them? If the answer is no, then you haven't had the privilege of meeting Lewis. Lewis Warren is the founder of Dakota, and through the Dakota brand, Lewis is changing the conversation around mental health in the car world. He also has a brilliant podcast, the Morning Drive podcast, in which he has easy, open chats with people he finds to be so interesting. So, open those ear holes and get ready for this one. Lewis, welcome to the podcast. How are we? I'm good, thanks, Harry. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. And a question I like to start off with is, what ignited your passion for cars? My dad is probably where it all started. He's been a bit of a petrol head, although now that I'm an adult that's into cars, he's not as much of a petrol head as I thought he was. Um, But he had the first car that I remember him having was a 205 GTI. And I think that was kind of where it all kind of, I can pinpoint a start. But I have been told that before I was five, I would name all the cars on the motorway and stuff like that. So it's been from the beginning, um, and I'll have to pin it on that 205 GTI as the yeah. the car that started it all. That's a great little thing, that. And so when you look back at Little Lewis, did he have a sort of a dream job in cars? Or what, like, did you want to have a sort of a goal or a name or anything? No, I wanted to be a car designer. Um, yeah. That was my, my dream, was to design cars and be a car designer. Uh, and funny enough, the, the work that I do now, that kind of stems from that. I, I've been asked where the name comes from, and it goes all the way back to... The, the imaginary car company I designed as a as a kid, so it's, yeah. it's always been there. And where did Tacona come from? Was it a just a spur of the moment name made up, or was there any influences from that? So the name, I think, when I was probably about eight or nine or something like that, um, and I really wanted to wanted to. I'm going to be a car designer one day. I'm going to be the next Ferrari. Now my surname doesn't work as well as Ferrari. You don't really want Warren plastered on the bonnet of a car it's not quite although gordon murray has now done gordon murray automotive so he's he's tossed that idea out but um <laughs> but as a kid i was like my name doesn't work it's not exciting and it was around the time that the zonda came out and i was obsessed with tokyo as all yeah. kids that grew up with need for speed were um so i think it it's those two words smashed together um so when i was coming up with the idea for the, the clothing and as a, a business idea I was hanging around with a, a friend who has, um, we had an Aston Martin Vulcan. And we were doing some shooting of some promo work for that. And I noticed that his number plate didn't match any of, obviously not on the Vulcan because it's a track car on his other yeah. car. Didn't match anyone's names or his name or his wife's name or his kids or anything like that. Yeah. So I asked him what it, what it meant. He said, oh, it's the name of my business, which when I create a business, it's a, I create a unique word. And then whatever the business does, that's what that word the connotations are connected to. So that's where the idea for Tacona being a unique word came from was I wanted to create something new that hadn't really been done in the the way that I do it. Um, And that advice was to create a unique word and then what you do means that. So I toyed around with some different ideas and trying to come up with different kind of unique words that could have car connotations and things like that. And then the, the Tacona word just came back on that oh what was the name of that thing that i designed when i was a kid and and that's where it all came back from um i've since found out that it, it's a type of body painting in easter island 
and it kind of loosely translates to leaving a mark. So there we I'm go. taking that and I'm running the <laughs> Happy accidents. Yeah, exactly. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, it's nothing to do with the uh, Tacoma truck at all. Just, <laughs> just... Not even a, a little bit. Um, funnily enough, Alex from Car Throttle came to one of my coffees in Car Meets and he was like, I was at the Tacoma meet. So he'd spelt it wrong, not tagged me <laughs> and put the name of the, the Toyota, which ironically I'm wearing TRD colours. Um, yeah. So now I've got this running joke with him where every time I see him, I call him a different name that isn't Alex, just as a, a bit of kind of payback for publicly getting the name wrong. <laughs> Get your penance, yeah. Oh, really? And speaking of Tacoma and, and cars, so what what was it that you decided to start your journey on getting people to talk more? And why was why was cars the the thing to do it with? So it, it kind of has had a bit of an organic growth as to how it came about in the way that it has. So I used to work in secure psychiatric healthcare. So I've had quite a lot of involvement from a mental health perspective. Yeah. Um, my partner is a forensic psychologist. I am very heavily been involved in that world and it's something that I developed quite a lot of passion for and got a lot of fulfillment out of being involved in um, and I moved into sales and I was a an area manager for UPS and having like proper corporate business meetings and all that kind of professional boringness that comes along with it but what I found was if we or I for was in a business meeting with say a new customer or a person that I'd never met and it transpired that we both were into our cars it would lubricate the conversation. It would make it yeah. so much easier to to have a conversation with a stranger, basically. The cars would connect us. Um, so initially, my idea was to create kind of business attire, shirts, suit jackets, ties, things like that, that had racing liveries running through. So like these colours would be ingrained into it so that if you went into a business meeting or you met someone new, but you were both car people, you'd go, I know that that's a car thing. We're therefore got this connection. And then that evolved into, well, why don't we use that principle to make a difference rather than it just be yeah. business attire and very boring. And yes, it could be financially a, a, a much bigger prospect and it could be like Amalagata watches that use a lot of motorsport inspired and mm-hmm. racing inspired and they do a wonderful job of it. It could have been that kind of idea. Whereas for me, I get a lot more fulfillment out of making a difference and helping people than I ever did from being in sales. So it was more of a conscious effort to go, right, let's utilise the principle of the connection to make a difference and use the idea of clothing and branding to drive awareness for mental health and connect people rather than using mental health to sell T-shirts. It's using T-shirts to, to grow mental health awareness. Oh, that's brilliant. I think we're doing this great personally from a from a perspective of, of a person that's been struggling with their mental health recently. And so it's, it's nice to see that you've when you've, when I came across you guys, it was a GQ article and it was the sort of um, top car brands for mental health. And I, I had to, I had to get you on, I had to interview you. <laughs> and I was wondering, when did your mental health journey start and what was that look like? Oh, it's probably the most tangible connection I can pin it on is when I was a teenager and my parents split up. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, my dad, oh, I, I don't speak to it currently, and haven't for three years um, has a problem with his drink and he became quite outwardly difficult shall we say um, especially towards my mum and then my mum obviously left and then I was next in line as the eldest eldest son I was probably 14 or 15 when it kind of really started to become an actual thing um, so that that's a very difficult thing to grow up with the person that you've looked up to the most and has been your role model 
then turning into the, the aggressor in your life and causing all these problems. Um, and what didn't help was we were relatively isolated where we lived. It was uh, from from the outside, oh, who wouldn't want to be there? It's a nice big barn conversion out in the Derbyshire countryside with loads of space and access to loads of like lovely things like a reservoir down the road and there's a steam train line. Not it was a if things were nice, best place in the world. Unfortunately it also means that you're cut off from a lot of the world. So you you're yeah. very limited in being able to escape. So when things were really bad it was hard to get away. It's not like I could go and stay with friends because there was nobody nearby. Um so that was probably the, the the most difficult part of growing up or the the most difficult my mental health has faced tangibly is probably those years um, until I got my first car, which again really ties into why I do what I do um, because that allowed me that freedom and that escape and to get away from things and it not being trapped, um, which made a huge difference, a really, really big difference. And it it created the social network for me that it still does today. I meet all of my friends through cars. So that was again, a real contributing factor into why Tacona is what it is. And so you were sort of 14, 15 around this time. So you got your first car when you were 17. I actually got it when I was 18. When I was, I passed my test four months after my 17th birthday. And then my dad's um, company had like a, any driver policy. So I just bombed mm. around in his cars, um, which every so often meant I drove his <laughs> 996 Turbo, which is an 18 year old is the scariest <laughs> thing in the world it's the coolest and the scariest at the same time um so for the first year i didn't really have my own car so i was mm. still kind of stuck and then i got uh, got on a 1988 austin yeah it'll be austin at that point uh mini mayfair 998cc which was brilliant it broke down almost every other day but <laughs> it was a at lot least it broke down reliably <laughs> yeah yeah i could count on it um by the time so it unfortunately got stolen um but by the time it had got stolen second year had completely gone the electrics had set on fire at least once um the door had a huge dent in it it had a gouge all the way down the side the lock mechanism on the driver's side door had broken and the day after i put it in my dad's garage to fix it because i'd bought like a little daily driver it got nicked so i was like Well, fortunately, I got more than double what I paid for it from the insurance. So I was like, oh, you've kind of done me a favour there because it's a really yeah. broken car anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was a brilliant... And it was such a game changer to to have my car. And I learned mm. so much about how to fix old cars and deal with old cars and not absolutely panic when it broke down. Um, and at one point, the head gasket had blown and I knew that I had probably 10 miles before it would just overheat because yeah. the head gasket had gone. So my commute was about 15 miles. So at the seven and a half mile mark, there was a pub that had an outside <laughs> tap. And I'd gone in one day and said, can I please fill my car up as it will overheat if I don't? And yeah. they, for about a month, let me every day pull in, fill the car up using their tap, go to work, and then pull in on the way back, do the same, um, until I could afford to fix the head gasket, which I did with my now ex-girlfriend's dad so it was again a learning experience it brought me and him together and it was a really good way to to learn and to connect and i met so many people because of that car that's brilliant and breaking down is probably the best thing for you just to just to get out and see people because if you ask that it is the first time it happened was two days after i bought it and 
the clutch just disintegrated on a dual carriageway, probably because I was an 18-year-old that had never driven an old car before. And I was like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> um, and I was on this dual carriageway in the outside lane when it happened. Unfortunately, there was a filter lane to go right yeah. that had a green light. So I was like, right, I'll just coast. And then as I got into the filter lane, it changed to red. So then I'm stuck in between two lanes here and two lanes here, um, completely like on my own, no idea what, what to do. And a, a guy was walking past with a push bike and said, oh, can you just push me, like help me just get it off this dual carriage right? And he told me to F off. <laughs> I was like, enjoy your bike ride then, dickhead. <laughs> like, just left me stranded on this dual carriage right? Um, but yeah, it, it was a learning experience. I did meet a lot of people normally from it being bright orange and modified and all that sort of thing, less so from breaking down all the time. Yeah, I, I don't know if it just comes naturally to you to approach people, but was for instance the guy that told you to f off and take the car what made you want to go and speak to that person because most people would be very solitary and just go i have to fix this myself well i was stranded my only direction with the car was to go across so it was a filter lane into an industrial estate so yeah that was the safer place to be so i think it was more me just going please help i'm 18 (laughs) i'd never seen the inside of a gym i had the long justin bieber floppy hair i'm not a an intimidating presence um and i was very scared it, my first car had already broken so it was more a desperation please help than it was mm. oh hello there could you please help me <laughs> i was literally shouting across the dual carriageway to it <laughs> oh god and take, I mean, taking the conversation back back to tacona so what made you want to take this seriously and start making it more of a presence in the uh, in the car world so it was something that originally started as an idea between me and a couple of friends to do something with clothing Mm. um and fortunately from my role in ups i had a couple of contacts that could make clothing relatively cost effectively low volumes that kind of thing so i started going oh we can do this and then i started creating some ideas i said oh we could do this and my friends were both studying full-time one of them's an accountant i can't remember what the other ones ended up doing now uh, but they just they didn't have the time and the capacity yeah. to to do it. So I said, "Oh, can I can I take it on? I've, I've got all these ideas. I've got some ways to do it." But I'm conscious that this was something that we'd kind of started the idea together of. But I appreciate that you guys don't have the ability to yeah. dedicate the energy and the time. So I, I kind of just took it on as a right. This has some potential to make a difference. If all it does is pay for itself, then I don't have to worry about the financial impact and if it does anything to help people then it's worth doing so it's it's really been a like a passion project more than it's been a a business venture i don't have any sort of investors i don't have proper kind of structure that you would expect from someone that was doing a proper business venture in that regard and that's intentionally so that it doesn't have any pressure it doesn't have any sort of requirement to do anything other than what I can because then anything that it does do is an achievement and then if if it all falls apart there's no loss it's literally just right okay I just stop which fortunately it's not doing at the minute it's still going in the direction of oh this might actually become more than just a a hobby but it's always been a right this is my opportunity to help those around me it's my opportunity to make a difference it's it's an opportunity to step into the car world in the way that I'd always dreamed of being involved in the car mm. world. Um, and if, if it makes one person's life a bit easier, if it makes 
a difficult time manageable for someone, then it's worth doing regardless. And if I can use the skills that I have and my natural kind of confidence and ability to go, mm. let's just have a go. And I'll, I'll happily be the guy that walks into an awkward situation and try and sort it. Then it's worth doing because what's the point in being able to do all that if you're not going to utilize that ability? Yeah. And that's not to sound all bloody Spider-Man superhero <laughs> crap or anything like that. It's more of a, well, if anyone's going to do it, it might as well be me because I'm happy to do it and it, it wouldn't actually be that hard for me to be that guy. Um, I'm the first person to walk up to a stranger and say like, yeah. so I might as well encourage other people to do so and kind of lead by example. And where do you think this comes from? Do you reckon it's from the sort of the absence of a father figure early on or do you reckon it's just sort of your plucky I've, determination? I haven't had the absence of a father figure. If anything, I've had too much of my dad around and that he's too he's always been too much rather than not enough yeah um credit due to him without the the problems that he has with drink and occasional drug use which not in the the normal sense it's more of yeah. a he's a successful businessman think of the kind of drugs that they do kind of scenario um without that he's a very fundamentally good guy so he's very outgoing he's very generous yeah. he's very compassionate very emotionally connected there's a lot of positives to the bloke. It's just that he's a nightmare that has a drink when he drinks and he has a problem with drinking. So it, it's it's not good for anyone to be around. It's just one of those tornadoes that sucks you in. Yeah. So for me, I, I think it's there's a family genetics of outgoing, engaging people. Like I started, I bought my first car after running a market stall with my grandma. And my grandma is the best salesperson in the world like hands down as they are she would go and like grab people and go oh come and have a look at this and just no one's going to say no to a little old lady it's like you should come and have a look at this like especially a stranger yeah. um so i think from my my dad and then from my grandma and through that line there's a lot of outspoken confident people mm. and i think that's where i get that from um and then i'm, I'm very fortunate that my mum's very compassionate and very emotionally connected so i i'm not as arrogant i'm not immune to the arrogance but i'm not quite as bad as say my dad is um which helps when you're trying to do something that is about compassion and helping other people i wouldn't say it was necessarily a i'm trying to think of the correct term for it it's not something that is i'm not a product of my environment as such Mm. it's more a kind of predisposition to just be confident and get chatting and talk to strangers and not be as scared or as intimidated by people as maybe other people would be. Um, And there's a certain amount of, I've worked in potentially some of the most dangerous environments that you could be in. And once you've worked in there and you've dealt with that and you've overcome that hurdle of, Oh my God, I could die. Yeah. It makes you a lot less scared to approach people because the worst that they're going to do is be rude. And then you can go, well, you're just being rude. So I therefore don't want to be around you do one. Yeah. once you've got kind of nothing to lose from a situation, it kind of gives you that fearlessness to try. Um, and once you change perspective, a, a big thing that I'm, I really am conscious of is a lot of life is about perspective. So the way you approach a situation or the way that you take away opinion or experience mm-hmm. from a situation affects how you deal and process with things. And if your perspective is, well, I've got nothing to lose and everything to gain, you're not really that scared of a problem. Yeah. And if you are aware that the worst case scenario is completely manageable, again, it gives you a bit more confidence to go, right, well, have a go. Worst case scenario, it all goes tits up, but I'm no worse off than I am now. It can't hurt to try. 
and again it's if you worry about it you suffer twice is is a real fun statement because it's completely true there's no point in getting all worked yeah. up and scared about it because you're getting worked up and scared and it might go really well and if it does go really badly well you only have to worry about that once then yeah it's like you only worry about you worry about 99 percent of the stuff and then none of it actually happens so yeah exactly it's just take, take a chill pill and just <laughs> kind of just just go on go with it yeah and if your perspective is well if this goes well great if it goes bad i'm no worse off than i am now then it helps encourage that i'll have a go because i've got nothing to lose um it's only when there's kind of the stakes are high if it goes wrong that it becomes a lot more of a pressured situation and then if you're at that point you kind of have to retrace your steps to figure out how the stakes have got that high but it's understandable that these things happen like for example my day job i might be getting made redundant so you then are in a situation you go, wow, there's my livelihood. That's very stressful. And until you find some security outside of that, it's very difficult. Mm. Um, and then as soon as the security is found, so a, a new job or something like that, then it gives you that kind of fearlessness again because you go, right, I've got nothing to lose now. You might fire me for this, but you were getting rid of me anyway, so I've already found something else. So then yeah. you can be a bit more pushy and you can ask for more and you can be the person that you really would like to be around your current employers because you've got nothing to lose from it oh, perfect and so looking towards the future yeah is there any anything for Tacona that you'd like to see happen uh, you know you're currently doing the coffees and car meets which look, look great <laughs> personally I, I don't get the house enough to go to them <laughs> but so is what would you like to see for Tacona in the future so coffees and cars is is really one thing that I'm really proud of because it, it is the fundamental way that I can make the biggest difference if that makes mm. sense the clothing is great and it serves its purpose in that if you're wearing the T-shirt and you're out and about, someone else will recognise that you're a car person and it has that ability to connect people, which was its, its intention from the start. The, the coffees and cars meets create these community spaces that physically do bring people together in its purest yeah. form. Um, so as that grows, that's one thing that I'm really kind of trying to make as many of them as possible. And, and the beauty of them are is that it's working with partners. It's not me hosting everything myself. So it helps support, say, small businesses like my friend's yeah. cafe where we started it. It helps create these community spaces. It brings people together. It gives them a, a sense of belonging to a community. Um, and it creates friendships and connections, which ultimately are the people that you would confide in. Or if things are difficult, you say, can we go for a coffee? That kind of, it creates those opportunities. Um and it, it it creates this interconnected network of kind of places to go if you don't yeah. know where to go. Um, so, for example, I've just moved to Northampton from Hertfordshire. Now, unfortunately, there isn't one here. Um, I do, however, have a friend who runs a similar thing around here. So I already know that if I need to go and meet new people, I can go there. Um, yeah. But the idea with the network is as that grows there are more of these places about. So if you're in a place that you don't necessarily know, or you've just moved to somewhere that you have no connections to, you know that you can go to a coffees and car meet or cafe and machine or car natter, which is around the corner from me and you can meet new people. And it's kind of acknowledging that idea that it's all about. Um, now, one of the plans that I would like to create, there's kind of two that are viable if things go nicely if that makes sense yeah um so we've just had Le Mans this weekend and when I was growing up my dad again he is a petrol head 
um, his friends are car dealers. So we would do a trip and we'd call it dads and lads. Yeah. Now, funny enough, when I was like 14 and my brothers were like eight and four or something like that, my dad was like, we should turn this into an events company, call it dads and lads. And we'll do road trips and football and all the things that dads and lads do together. And we were like, yeah, this will be great. And as kids, you just go along with it. Now, looking back, if we'd actually done that, I'd have been bloody set. Yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been the, the original cannonball run. Um, but uh, I would like to get into doing events in that regard, like trips. Um, yeah. I think that those kind of trips create connections with people that are much deeper than most yeah. things would be. So the, the experiences and the adventure and quite often the, the challenges that you have to overcome on a, on a road trip are really character building and they build these strong relationships. And I think that's a really good thing to tie into what Tacona is because it is all about building those connections and it's a lot of fun and it would be a nice, exciting thing to be doing. Um, so over the last few days, it's kind of started that, right, we should do Le Mans as, as one. We should yeah. probably do a UK one, maybe go to the Race of Remembrance just to try and create one to start with, see how it goes, most likely just with mates, just to yeah. go, right, logistically, how do we bloody do this? Because it's all good on an idea, but until you actually have a go, it, it, you find out how it actually works. Um, so that's one thing that I would really like to do is Tacona Tours would be mm -hmm. the that thing that, that would be a good good project to incorporate. Um, the other thing is a, a sub-brand called Auto Mindful. Now, this is an idea that I've, I've floated around a couple of times, and it's not currently, Tacona's not big enough to, to get this off the ground just yet. Um, but it's kind of the idea is that the things that you do with your cars are a form of mindfulness. So yeah. if you spend a day cleaning your car, it's a task focused activity with an end goal. It's, it's a form of mindfulness. Um, if you're working on your car, if you're going to social meets and things like that, these are all things that are good for your brain and to have a word for that or to have a way to acknowledge that I think it would be really important. Now, logistically it's hard to, create that new word <laughs> yeah so i've already done tacoma so i might as well do another one yeah. um but the idea would be to work with say auto finesse or valet pro or a, a detailing company that creates the products to create like a a basics pack that gives you the way to do the car cleaning uh -huh. stuff yeah and then do a, a similar thing with say like snap-on tools to go right here is a snap-on toolkit that just acknowledges that the things that you do with this toolkit are good for your brain um, and then do like a clothing line that does a similar kind of idea of these are good for your brain to, to get out and do. Um, even if it was just like work wear to wear while you're working on your car. So that gets dirty in your nice clean t-shirt, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So the, the concept is to create almost like a, an essentials pack for these different activities that are good for the brain. However, I'm still very small and Tacona's not quite big enough to have the the leverage to start those conversations. Yeah. Because it, it takes a lot of not necessarily investment, but it takes a lot of confidence from the people that create the products to go, Oh yeah, we'll do we think we could sell X amount, therefore we'll put the logo on X amount and we'll chuck a flyer in and we'll publish it in this way and that way. It it takes a lot of actual business investment. And as I'm not properly a business person because it's not that much fun 
it's not where I'm at. I'd rather yeah. just enjoy what I do. And if it grows, it grows in a way that I enjoy doing it. I don't want to be sat there going, right, how many units do we have to shift and how much investment do we need in this? And that's the, it's not very interesting. It's quite mm. boring. Whereas if I can go, I'm going to just design a T-shirt today and hopefully I'll sell enough to pay the rent, I'm more than happy to do that. Perfect. Um, but we're not at that point yet either way. So. No, you speak about tools, but so I'm going to mental health and mindfulness and being self-aware. Is there anything that you'd give to people to, to as, as an exercise or like meditations, just a, maybe a bit of advice to help people deal with that mental health at that point? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm not very good at meditation and a lot of people struggle with it. It takes a lot of dedication to get into. It is very hard to sit and be quiet and to reflect and to kind of be in that space. It's, it's really difficult. And if you're in a position where you're having a tough time, it's really hard to start that process. I think meditation is best started in a good place because it, it's an easier one to get into when you've not got lots of intrusive thoughts. Um, one thing that I've personally found has helped and I, I've written a blog piece on it. It's probably buried somewhere on the website. Is I bought an alarm clock. And again, this takes some real discipline, which I am terrible at. But having an alarm clock, and I have mine on top of my wardrobe at the other end of my bedroom, so that when it goes off, I have to get out of the bed to go and switch it off. And the simple act of getting my feet on the floor is often enough to, to get me going. Get the ball rolling, yeah. Yeah, it's phone is not kept in the bedroom i mean at the minute i've fallen off this a little bit so i'm a little bit of a hypocrite life is quite chaotic and there's a moment coming where i can implement this routine again so i'm putting my hands up and saying i'm not doing it very well do as i say not as i do um but if you do as i say and you're better at it than i am it helps because it i have put it to the test and it really does actually help yeah and it's one of those your phone is addictive it's breaking an addiction almost um but having the phone kept in another room overnight helps. Going to bed at, say, nine o'clock, reading, doing a puzzle, talking to the person that you're sleeping next to if you are in a position where you are sleeping next to someone, building that relationship and having that communication. Mm. And then in the morning when the alarm clock goes off, don't go and pick the phone up. Do something for half an hour. For me, it's I sit and read, so I've got... Road Rat Magazine yeah. is my go-to. The guys over there are bloody fantastic as well. Um, I make a cup of coffee. I've finally, after bloody three months, got my coffee machine back because the longing have taken the absolute mick to repair it. Um, and again, making a cup of coffee from the beans with a grinder and a proper tamp, that's, again, like a mindfulness process. Yeah. A friend of mine has been like, why don't you just get one of those where you press a button and it makes you a cup of coffee? And like, you're missing the point. It's not about the coffee at this point. It's about the, the process. Yeah. But it's getting up in the morning, doing, making that coffee, sitting and reading for half an hour and just being in my own space with no distractions makes a huge difference, like really tangibly. Um, and it's very clear the times where I'm not doing that versus the times where I am doing that, just how much better I feel within myself. So that would be yeah. one quite relatively simple change that I would recommend people try. And I, I appreciate that it's not an easy one to do once you actually try and do it. 
because it's very easy to just keep your phone in your hand, go to bed yeah. with your phone, scroll until you fall asleep, wake up using your phone as the alarm, scroll as soon as you wake up, and then your phone is part of your whole day. And it does take discipline, and I'm not discounting that in any way because I'm crap at it half the time. But when I have got the, the capacity to really apply that discipline, it has made a tangible difference. Um, another thing that some people do that works really well that again, I'm not that good at, is journaling and keeping a diary. More for the, the physical act of getting things out of your head rather than having all of these things going round and round and round and round. Having a space where you can get your thoughts out, even if all you do is tear it up and set it on fire so nobody ever reads it, it gets it out of your head to a certain space and it helps to process the challenges to have kind of that right i can put it in this box i can process it i can come up with solutions to problems i can write out all my thoughts yeah it really does help to reduce that kind of over and over and over again and that's when things start to kind of compound because you go oh this is crap and oh what if this happens what if this, what and then you're in a completely different situation so for me if i've got things that i need to get done i write lists and that really helps to get it out of my head with regards to problems and things like that, I'm quite good at sitting and processing a problem, coming up with eventualities, possibilities, pros, cons, that kind of thing. And then I, I can kind of formulate what I need to do yeah. quite well. So the journaling side of things hasn't really been something that I've picked up just because I don't process information in that way. But a lot of people that I've encountered or spoken to or worked with have found it really, really useful. Um, so it's another one that I would recommend. And then the final thing is just talk to someone. It doesn't have yeah. to be someone that you know. It doesn't have to be someone that you've ever met. It could be one of the services online. And I've created a big old list of them on the website that are impartial. They're not connected to you. So they don't have a stake in the game. And again, that really helps in encouraging people to talk more about how they feel and how they're thinking. Because if I know that you could in some way tell someone or impact on my life i'm less likely to be vulnerable around you because it's it's got much more weight to it whereas if i'm talking to a complete stranger that has no idea who i am and has no idea how to connect to me i can unload that quite easily because there's no repercussion from it again it's that perspective thing where i've got nothing to lose from doing so so i might as well give it a go and there are so many amazing services that exist to do that um and a lot of people don't feel like they need to do that or they don't feel like they are in a position that is justified to do it. Most people think, unless I'm going to kill myself, I don't need to be calling them because I'm wasting their time. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realise that it's better to have the conversation early doors. It'll be a much shorter conversation, so you're not using that much of their time anyway, but it will help prevent the the dominoes from toppling to the point where you go, I've had enough, I need to call one of these services. Call yeah. them when you're feeling crap, get it, get that kind of out of your system. And it might not fix the problems, but it might just take the edge off enough to make them manageable. And those services would rather speak to you when things are manageably difficult than when they're unmanageably difficult mm. because it, it's much better to make a problem managed then just go this is it i've i've given up i've run out of, of road 
Um, so that, that would probably be the, the directions that I would recommend would be get an alarm clock and put your phone down, um, talk to someone, <laughs> yeah. write a journal, and stuff like go for a walk, get out of the house. I know it's very cliche to, oh, have you tried going outside? Go for a walk if it's not, if you've, got, if you've tried everything else, it can't hurt to try going for a walk, getting in some fresh air, leave your phone at home, do something where you're not being bombarded by information. Yeah. Um, because again, that really contributes to how overwhelming a problem can become if, if you're feeling like crap and then you sit on Instagram and you see so-and-so's bought a Ferrari and so-and-so's <laughs> at an event and so-and-so's lost a stone and you're struggling to lose weight. It does nothing to help the situation. There's unfortunately not much to reassure you online in the yeah, that's... the way that the social media and that is kind of built is to engage with you and they find less engagement from stuff that's reassuring than they do from million pound cars and negative of, sort of, yeah. yeah exactly um and a lot of the social media is designed to cause controversy and conflict because people will then engage with it so it's not a positively driven environment if that makes sense um the kind of the, the crux of a lot of it is put your bloody phone down for an hour and probably make a big difference to your life. Look up from the screen. Yeah. Exactly. And walking around definitely helps. I mean, so there's something to be said about the um, the light. It's like you get a dark room, so like a thousand lumens, but even if, like a cloudy day is like 10,000. And you only need a couple of minutes out there just to just to sort of wake yourself up and give yeah, yourself yeah. that vitamin D, which is, which is it, great. It's tangible how much happier you feel through the summer than you do in the, the darker winters. When the days are much longer through the, the summer months, you feel a lot more uplifted. Um, and when you have those short short days and early nights, it's, it's really tangible how yeah. much gloomier things feel. Um, this is, yeah, I know this has been a pretty, pretty heavy conversation, but there's some sort of lighter... Well, for me anyway, it's, it's, it's opened me up. Um, it's a lot of sort of sort of car questions I like to ask towards the end, Lewis. And one of those, the first one being your ultimate three car garage. Oh, interesting one. I actually had a conversation along these lines recently, so it should hopefully be one that I can. I don't have to think too deeply about. Um, I would like an RS6 as a all round practical car. I think that okay. would be be that one. In terms of, you have to have a practical car, a hyper car, and a fun car, really, don't you? They're the three those those are the rules. But the practical car would be the RS6. I can pretty much do everything with one of those. I could put a trade hook <laughs> on it if I really needed to, to transport a fun car around. Um, you might be flogged, but you could. Yeah, but <laughs> that's the point. If you've got enough money to have these three cars, then you can do what you want with them, can't you? Um, I would put a trailer hook on something that really, really, like, blasphemous just for the fun just because I think that would be brilliant. Everybody's seen the video of that guy with the Bentley Continental with a Bentley blower on a trailer behind, and he got nothing but respect. Um, <laughs> so the RS6 would be the practical car. The the kind of the hyper car, the cool car would just be an LFA or a Carrera GT just for the noise. Yeah. I would love a Ferrari, but as exciting and as fun as they are, they're very cliche. And I think an LFA is actually a nicer sounding noise. It would probably be an F50 if I had a Ferrari just because it's the Ferrari, the Formula One engine. So that's probably where that would go. Everybody says the F40 and some people say the Enzo, which would be my other two. But I think F50 for the sound and the fact that it's basically a race car. When in reality, I'd have the LFA because I can still do Le Mans and back in an LFA without actually killing my eardrums and my spine. Your car um, will stay intact as well. Exactly. I'm not going to bounce yeah. myself to death on a motorway. 
And then I would love a Safari built 911 by Tuttle. Um, okay. I think that would probably be the most fun car that you could have just because they are so leery and you can do anything in one and you can attack any road surface. You can go rallying. You could probably quite easily put it on some firmer suspension, take it around a track if you really wanted to. But if you've got an LFA, just use that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably the three that would really be the nice, like, yeah, all yeah. bases covered, all fun to be had and none of them are boring. Um, Cause originally I'd have probably said like a Morgan three wheeler or an aerial atom, but I oh, think yeah. you can have a lot of fun in both of those. But I think a Safari 911 would be just that little bit more fun because of the off-road option. Also um, limit to the weather as well. If you... Yeah. You've not got to wear a helmet because you've got a roof so you can go to the shops and stay dry if you're into that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but you can also drive across Africa, which I would love to see, but I doubt it'd be possible to do in a Morgan three-wheeler. I'll try. I'll, I'll let you know. Alex Gore, see if he can get his <laughs> yeah. down there. If anyone's going to have a go at that, it's probably him as well. He'd probably get a really good story out of that. Down to Portugal and then down to... You know, to yeah, yeah exactly. Why not? Um, yeah, one car, one road or track, where you're going, what are you taking? Ooh, one car, one road or track. Oh, that is an interesting one. I've not had to think about that one before. So the obvious roads that come to mind are like the Stelvio Pass and stuff like that. I think in reality, the Stelvio Pass is probably less exciting than people make it out to be because it's all switchbacks. Yeah. Who really needs that many switchbacks? It's very straight line, stop, turn around, straight line, stop. I think three or, four you, yeah, three or four and you've probably got bored of that, as beautiful as the scenery is. I have, however, done the North Coast 500 and I can say that there are some fantastic roads and scenery and weather to be had up there yeah. and it's bloody accessible. So I'd probably go with the North Coast 500 routes again. Um, I can't remember any of the bits of road, so I'm going to just use all of it. Um, I remember the Apple Cross Pass was really pretty, but it wasn't a good bit of road. Again, it was tight, almost single track and it's all switchbacks which isn't fun yeah. driving. It's bloody terrifying having a camper van coming towards you as you <laughs> snail down a mountain. Um, but there were some really good bits of, particularly over on the, when you really get out into the West Coast where it's a lot quieter, there's some really good bits of road that are wide with a lot of visibility and some amazing scenery around. So out there is probably one of the best places I've personally ever been to drive. Yeah. Um, and I haven't driven enough of Europe to go this bit of road in East Germany or whatever. So that yeah. would be the road. Now the car is a difficult one because if you're in something like a high performance supercar, mm. you can't really enjoy a road like that. You're, it's, you've got too much performance, if that makes sense. Like yeah. those things are great on track where the road is eight miles wide and you've got nothing around. So if you're going track with a car, you go for a fast track with a fast car. But if you're doing a effectively a, a nice A road through the Scottish Highlands, I'd probably want something that has a similar dynamic to my GT86, but quicker. Well, obviously not too much quicker. So that's the, that's where the challenge lies in finding that car. And that's pretty much where I'm at in reality in that, I'm going to have to replace that Toyota with something in the next couple of years. 
currently I'm leaning towards an M2 because it still has a boot. Um, but Exige. Oh, an Exige would probably be right up at the top there, yeah. Mm. Probably um, GF Williams purple Exige, the hell slow one. Yeah. I yeah. Uh, I met him at the Shelsley Walsh hill climb with Haggerty recently and that car is very nicely done and would tick all the boxes. Although a friend of mine just swapped his Exige for a Cayman GT4 and he very much likes it and they've just done the GT4 RS. Possibly a GT4 RS or a GT3 just because it's a little bit bigger and has the rear engine dynamic versus the mid-engine dynamic. Yeah. Um, if I would, I've had this conversation the other day. If I were ever successful enough to be able to afford a more than a hundred grand car, it would probably be a GT3 or a GT3 RS. And I would specifically go to test drive it in my Renault 5 and turn up and see if they'd let <laughs> turn me. Turn in there. That's, it's, it's, uh... that's what I'd do is I'd go to Porsche in my Renault 5 and go, I'd like to test drive this brand new GT3, please and see if they'll let me. And if they don't, then I go to a different dealership until I find one that's good enough of a sport. To see through the Renault. Yeah, um, because that's a real test of a car dealer as a person. If yeah. they if they are judgmental, then I don't want to give them any money. No. Not that I'm, I'm a very long way off being in a position to be that guy, but if I was that in that position, I would be very conscious as to who I would be dealing with. Um, maybe a GT3 Touring if it's good Ooh. enough for Chris Harris <laughs> it's, uh, it's probably good enough for, for the likes of me who isn't a racing driver yeah, yeah anyway. GT3 Touring on the North Coast 500 would be I'd probably be in my happy place at that point no oh, perfect and sort of the most important modification for you to make to a car tyres and learn how to drive um, which are very boring answers a racing license, yeah, just get one of those. Go and learn how to drive a car quickly and put some tyres that aren't going to kill you so that you can really enjoy the dynamics. Now, this is from a guy that has coilovers on his car, but I have good tyres <laughs> and cheap wheels, which, again, <laughs> don't put cheap, cheap wheels on. They, they've done me okay, but I would probably like to spend a couple of grand on some good wheels one day. Um, but, yeah, having experienced track days and driving quickly on roads, the best dynamic shifts you can get are from knowing how to drive and being able to feel how a car moves and what it's telling you mm. and being able to trust in the tyres that are your connection to the road. I've driven a reasonably quick car on reasonably crap tyres and it is terrifying. And I've driven a reasonably slow car on really good tyres and it is very confidence-inspiring. Um, once you know what you're feeling Uh, not to say that I'm a great driver or that I've had much experience or tuition but I've had some and I have driven a lot on reasonably good roads for it and they're probably the two biggest takeaways now a friend of mine always criticizes me for my GT86 because I put it on coilovers and I've put 18 inch wheels on it and he says, Toyota spend all that money developing that car and building that suspension and putting those wheels on it. And then you come along and ruin it. And maybe he's right, but it's not actually dynamically shifted it that much. And it has, if anything, stiffened it up a little bit, which 
does make it a little bit flatter through corners. Yeah. Whereas Toyota designed it to be a little bit more lively through corners. <laughs> yeah. Um, they put skinny wheels on it and slightly softer suspension so that you could throw it in and get the back out, which on a fast road is not really what you want to do. Um, so there's, Depends who you ask. Yeah. If, if you're better at driving than I am, you probably wouldn't mind, but I don't really want the back end to step out all the time if I'm going quickly. Um, but yeah, first mods to make on any upgrading car or anything like that is make sure that the tyres are good tyres and make sure that you know how to drive. So when I get yeah. my M2 one day, um, they're Shortly. the first two things that I'm going to do. Well, we've got to buy a house. I've under strict rules that we have to have a mortgage before I can buy a car again because having finance and things affects your mortgage rates. Okay. But the adult, adult stuff. Yeah, like <laughs> my other half's actually sensible and a grown up. She's not quite as. She doesn't go and just buy Renault 5s on a whim like I do. No. Um, yeah, but she then... didn't know I was doing that. And I asked her <sighs> to, uh, to, I, to take me to Sudbury. She's like, why? Your car's right there. I was like, no, I need you to drive. And as we approached the house, I was like, I've bought a car. She's like, <laughs> he loves just it. Drop it on it. Great. Yeah, as we were approaching it. I was like, that car, I've just bought that. What is wrong with you? Fortunately, it was only 500 quid and not an M2, for example. Um, but when I got the GT86, that was a similar experience with my ex-partner. Um, I broke my previous car, part exit in for the Toyota, didn't tell anyone I was doing it. And she was walking to work one day and I just pulled up alongside and started beeping at her like an absolute psychopath. Because from her perspective, this car absolute she's never psychopath. seen before. It's just pulled up alongside. And then she looks in the window and it's me. And she's like, the hell is wrong with you? I've, I've got a, a habit by the look, sounds of things. Um, but yeah, one day the M2 will be be within reach. Yeah. And after all this podcast, I started to just start inspiring people because like me, after lockdown, I had no clue what I wanted to do. And sort of I'm doing this just to speak to people that I find to be an inspiration. So what I like to do is ask for the best bit of advice that you, you've ever received or given. Oh, that's an interesting one. I would probably have to go quite simply with everybody is a person. Treat them as such. It's a piece of advice that I've given. I don't know if I've received it. I've probably read it or come across it and somehow tried to pin down why I'm so confident when I meet yeah. strangers. Um, and it's pretty much always everybody's a person, no matter whether they're a multimillionaire or Joe Bloggs working in McDonald's. Treat them like they're a person. Mm. Be kind to the people that society sees as beneath you. Be equally kind to the people that society would see as above you. And don't expect someone that's perceived as successful to be any better than you are or any less kind of scared of yeah. normal things um and that that's probably the advice i would give um it's it's come in handy a few times like i met jk from jamiroquai recently and the ceo of kurt geiger um yeah, has right. a car a thing of all places which is where you'd expect to see them <laughs> and we just chatted like people and i was speaking to a friend of mine who's a, a photographer and i said oh have you have you met them so, oh no i'm so scared and it's so intimidating and it was like they're just people go and treat them like they're people and you'll probably find that they're people and they'll treat yeah. you like a person and if you're in any way someone with any sort of ambition and making connections to people that are we'll say ahead of you in the journey that you're on 
treating someone like a person and not glorifying them will more often put you in good stead with that person than anything because if you put them on this pedestal you're putting much more pressure on the situation than it needs if you treat them like they're a person and you talk to them as though you would talk to someone that you are on equal ground with you're more likely to gain respect from that person and you're more likely to build a proper relationship rather than one that has expectation or has pressure on it um, which in the long run is always better to have and then in the worst case scenario you've made a new friend or you found out that a person that you were glorifying isn't all that you thought they would be yeah and expecting them to be a person reduces the chance for disappointment um, <laughs> and so, after all, yeah you made out the same sort of bones blood and mushy stuff that everyone else is so yeah everybody poops is the the saying isn't it everybody poops <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Lewis, thank you very much for being on. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. And yeah, it's it's clear to see you've got a lot going on. And I, lot, I hope Dakota seems just to skyrocket soon. And I everyone appreciate it, Harry. Thank you. Speaks about mental health as, as much as they should do. So, Fingers crossed that we can encourage a few more people to talk a little bit more. If, uh, if all it does is makes one person open up and deal with their problems, it's worth doing. Well, thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Hearing someone talk so openly about why they started something is incredibly inspiring for me, and I hope for you too. It reminds me that this podcast aims to achieve something similar, if not to get people talking about cars indirectly and about their own mental health, but to get you to pursue your passion. Now, I've spoken about this before. I, until recently, didn't know what I wanted to do with my passion for cars. It was only until I did some research and decided that podcasting was one of the ways in which I can talk to the people that I've always wanted to talk to and have the conversation with them about how they started and learning a lot more about them. And even if you're starting your own car brand like Lewis, I hope this conversation is the final push that you need to explore taking that brand public so you can enjoy having so much fun with that. After all, we are all car enthusiasts. At the end of the day, that passion we share can be incredibly motivating, only if it's used correctly. And taking Lewis's advice and just going up to people and speaking to them, not because they're famous or they're interesting, just because you want to know more about the car and the person behind the car. He gets his face in front of people and makes sure they know the name, Lewis Warren. And if not for Lewis Warren, there would be no Tacona. And I think that's what people buy into him and the brand because of how he is. So if you want to find Lewis, he has the Morning Drive podcast. He has Tacona on YouTube and Tacona on Instagram. And if you want to find us, we on Instagram at we are ignition or on TikTok at we are ignition or YouTube just at ignition. So with that being said, I'm Harry and this is the ignition podcast. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's or any of our other episodes, please share them with at least three people you know who are in the car trade, love cars, or just find them interesting. If we can get one more person to listen, that's one more person in my mission to help inspire people to do more with their passion for cars. 